Hello and welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen and this is another edition of the Blogger and the Bear back with me. My good friend, Brian Brown. Brian, it feels like it's been a minute since just you and I sat down to chat a little. We, uh, we haven't even be, been able to discuss your Water Witch adventure. No, we have not been able to discuss my Water Witch adventure. I suppose we could start there. I was impressed. You know, it. the setup is kind of confusing uh, in that... It's kind of like two separate bars, kind of jammed into one. And one's got like this kind of sushi bar type vibe deal. And the other one's got this more like closed in cocktail bar type deal. I think it's the same menu. I hope I went to the right place because it did feel like two places that were kind of jammed into one, if that makes sense. Um... It was very cool. I sat down, looked over the drink menu. Drink menu was good. If you want a stiffer drink, you can get that there. If you want something good and sweet, you can get that there as well. I got the Mewtwo. It was fantastic. Did the job. Slowly sipped on that. And But what, what really got me was the music choices, Brian. I don't know if you got in, your, in their ear and told them old Eric was coming. But, but he, these guys were playing some, like, very classic, like, Freddie Gibbs mixed with, like, Benny the Butcher. And I, it was like, wow, this is, like, a, a very odd vibe for a cocktail bar. But, like, some Freddie Gibbs with a cocktail does go well. He's just, like, a little bit more highbrow rap if you're into that. So I quite enjoyed it. I, I, will, I will be going back at, at some point. Again, getting downtown is a little bit of a challenge but i will be going back at some point because i i found it to be quite i i found it to be quite nice so you're right about the two bar vibe because there are two bars right water witch is on the left gnome is on the right gnome is the more sushi-ish sushi bar type vibe okay and then you've I... got water witch which is like you said a very like intimate cocktail bar right and then if you keep going this is the real life hack you have central ninth market and friday night they do fish fry saturday night they do charma charma i believe sunday they do pizza and monday they do smash burger so you can get food and a drink if you're downtown uh like you said not always easy to get downtown it's not easy to get anywhere these days in salt lake is um my beloved city is growing and getting too big for my tastes but uh i'm glad you had a good experience there i'm not at all surprised that the uh the music tickled the fancy because that's really that's what the vibe of the bar you can go in there at any point in time and you're going to get an eclectic mixture and it's people that i think people that take and appreciate things right like that's those are the kind of people who will really enjoy that bar and the best part about it is you can pretty much tell any of the bartenders, hey, I like this and this and this, and they'll make you a cocktail that's delicious. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think I ended up at Gnome. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have to go back and and get pushed into So is it the same owner? 
Okay. Yeah, same group. So I believe Waterwitch, Gnome. Uh, what's the other one? Acme in Sugar House. And I think they have another one that they're opening up. If I'm not mistaken. Good group. Yeah, I I, I thought so. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. And you know, had had a nice had a nice time. It was very relaxed. I'm going back downtown. I am going to see, frankly, an absurd amount of jazz basketball games to start the year. I'm going to be at the home opener tomorrow, and then I decided to also I I I tried this new ticket buying app, Game Time, which you know I guess we're not sponsored by anyone, but. It was very nice. I got some nosebleed tickets where I usually like to sit for the jazz for like eight bucks a pop and ended wow. up coming out to a grand total of like 28 bucks for two tickets. So I was thoroughly pleased with that. You do kind of have to wait until a few days before to get the ticket transfer, but it came through okay. So I feel pretty comfortable with them. But yeah, I was thinking uh, as soon as you bought that up, like it uh, probably after that jazz game might be a good idea to head down there and uh and go uh ha have have a drink and 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 uh enjoy some late night vibes before we get into what what should be um a pretty fantastic college football saturday and i needed to ask you this and this this can be part of our icebreaker as well you know my college experience. I was working at a radio station and often had to be at said radio station at like six or seven in the morning. Game day is coming. I would like to go to game day. So what is what is the procedure for going to game day? Do I have to like buy a ticket or do I just like show up? That is an interesting question because I think there's no way you would get the crowds that you get if you had a purchase ticket, right? So it is a free event, and they usually have uh, the university will usually buy donuts and coffee or or hot chocolate or things like that to hand out in the morning because that's the biggest <clears throat> tip, right? The biggest life hack when it comes to getting to college game days, you got to get there early. So you got to be there like 5.30, 6 a.m. Otherwise, it's going to be – Real tough to find a good space, and I would expect – I think it will depend because the weather is going to get cold. Uh, the last time I did it – first time I did it, we camped out. And uh, waking up at 5.30 a.m. in a tailgate lot, even if you sleep inside a motorhome, is rough. Uh, so just prepare accordingly for that. Second is finding your way to President's Circle is going to be a nightmare. Because everybody's going to think, oh, I can just take an Uber. Don't think so. Don't think it's going to happen. Not going to be a lot of Ubers up and rolling at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. Although, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe the late night Uber crowd is more dense than uh, than I previously expected. But you, you just be, show up. You have to be shocked because it, going back to the radio days, I actually, that, I used Uber a little bit in college. And that was when I Ubered the most was like at Saturday mornings at like 630 in the morning. And sometimes it's a little bit of a gamble, but you can usually find it. So my thinking would just be that there would be more demand than there are Uber drivers at that point in time. Because right. as someone who's done the Uber Lyft experience before as a on the driver's side of it, there were nights where I drove till 6, 7 a.m. Uh, just because on a Friday night, you can make a ton of money. 
it was easy. Like I made rent one night just doing that. So, uh, anyway, uh, I, I would, I would say if you're planning on going, the move is either get there early or don't count on having a very good spot close to the set, right? It just casually wander over around between eight and nine and, and see what it looks like and everything like that. The real, I think, life hack is to go on a Friday. If you want to see the set, if you want to feel the vibe, if you want to get a, get a catch, you know, catch a feeling for it. McAfee does his show live from there on Fridays. Uh, I think somebody else does a live broadcast as well. So you can get more up close and personal. Saturday is basically a giant four, three, four hour long pep rally. And it's what you realize is just how how long live TV is. That's that's the biggest takeaway. I think it's something that's worth experiencing if you've never been. I am not going to be there. So uh, I've done it twice. Uh, That's enough for me. Yeah, I figure I'll maybe my strategy will be early morning as well, sometime around like six park somewhere because I I have the advantage of a parking pass park somewhere and then walk down. So where is the set at president circle? Yeah. So it'll be at president circle. I believe the set will be facing the building, but I could be mistaken on that one. There's a great uh, kind of inform information article on the university of Utah website, utahutes.com, what you need to know about getting the game day. Biggest thing is if you're gonna get there early, um, yeah, make sure make sure you have some sort of transportation organized. They'll just count on, like I said. And I think parking is gonna be a little bit crazy, but the good news is it's probably gonna to lead to a great tailgate that day because most people that that go early for game day will probably hang around. Yeah, I would like to get up tailgating. I don't really know how to do that. Uh, that is another thing that I have always struggled with and i the worst part of my week somebody on twitter that i know who is very friendly so i won't give too many details here sent me a text monday and was like yo i have an extra ticket to this game would you like to go and i was like of course and then i heard back yesterday and they were like oh sorry i overpromised. it got given to someone else which was a bummer i don't think i'll be able to get to a utah game this year I think I, I might try to get to the Arizona State one with with our buddy uh Lundy, but man, it's it, it's tough to get it's tough to get up to those games for sure. But uh yeah, no, I, I uh, I'm I'm excited for Saturday. I think it should be a, a fun game and uh I mean it's just uh it's uh, I, I uh it's just nice to get up and experience uh the game day atmosphere a little bit. Uh, but and I'm also a person that I I have a, a very strange take and maybe some people dis might disagree with this, but I I just feel football is a much better television product than it is a live product, uh. So I'm I'm not all too heartbroken about it, but that that has kind of been uh my week. All right, let's talk about the actual game because it does feel like let's talk about the USC game first. Cause wow, that was crazy. 
Would you say, though, Brian, and I know what you're going to say here, so I'm setting you up. Uh, would you say that that win pretty much defined the Kyle Whittingham era at Utah in uh, in a nutshell? Oh, without a doubt. From from start to finish, even including the press conference afterwards, where he's gloating about having a pig farmer for a quarterback, and that pig farmer just took down the reigning Heisman champion. Uh, nothing screams Kyle Whittingham more than winning a game. You probably have no business winning. Doing it as being the more physical, aggressive, just pound the rock type team and doing it with a cast of characters that includes a pig farmer, a quarterback turned running back, uh, a safety turned running back, and just out gut checking the best team that money can buy on the West Coast. Uh, just that uh, he said it was a top five game for him. It, it might be the most fully encompassing Kyle Whittingham game ever. Won it on defense, won it with special teams. Just a, a complete, perfect encapsulation of who he is and what he wants his teams to do. Yeah, I feel like I kind of owe a massive apology to Bryson Barnes, who after learning he he was quarterback one for rest of the year, came out and played his best game as a Utah Ute uh, in the biggest moment, which was quite impressive, quite impressive to see. Can we qualify this game real quick? Yeah. Because I don't think we owe anybody apologies. This was a phenomenal game. This was an elite program-defining tremendous victory. And it does not change anything about what we talked about in regards to the Utes, their flaws, who they are, and what they need to do to, to possibly win a Pac-12 championship. All it was, at the end of the day, was an incredible victory that really personifies who Kyle Whittingham is, who the program is, and what they are capable of doing on any given Saturday. I don't think any of the criticism I, – I mean – Barnes almost lost them the game with a big six, right? Yeah, that was that was an interesting moment. There were a, a few moments where Bryson Barnes of of chaotic Bryson Barnes showed up, but I think it's important to understand that that's just who he is as a player, and um, he's a backup QB who's starting. And, and as long as you can kind of sort of survive with that fact then if you go in expecting ups and downs you'll you'll come away feeling you know however you feel obviously the bigger letdown in this game was um the way Caleb Williams performed who, who that was that was just one of the more kind of shockingly bad i would say quarterback performances I've I've ever seen I, I I think the way that he is looked at just as a prospect has changed fundamentally over two weeks when he's run into these kind of tougher 
more physical defenses. He has really seemed to struggle with, with those opponents. I, I just, you know, I, you know, it's a big, it's a big win, but I wonder how much this changes the way we feel about Utah's season, because I still kind of feel the same way, even though they're at six wins now, I feel like eight wins for what the roster is and who the quarterback is would be a massive accomplishment. I, I think expecting more than eight wins is a, a little bit crazy. Obviously, you have a huge game against Oregon this week. And and I feel like this is kind of a turning point because if they do beat Oregon at home, which there is a very good chance of, they are a, a tremendous home team. We all know this. They can't they can deal with the rest of their schedule. Arizona has looked very good in, in recent weeks, but this version of the Utah team, especially if Bryson Barnes plays even okay, can handle the can handle uh can handle a, a university of utah team they play arizona state who who haven't played great this year obviously had a big game against washington but still not a great team and one that you, you think utah should be able to handle the biggest test becomes washington and then you can really start to think well oh okay a pac 12 uh title game repeat is on the horizon for Utah football, but it all starts this week. They have to beat Oregon. And if they beat Oregon, the whole, the whole table is set out in front of them. Uh, but they, they've got to beat a very good Oregon team first. There's a couple, uh, an Oregon team that really plays to and against Utah's strengths. Well, right. A, a team that runs the ball extremely well. And I think that's where, where Utah has been a, so effective is you look at for example last week utah was three for 13 on third down offensively but they held usc to four of 11 utah was two for three on fourth down that was the big that's why i think guts determination toughness those are the reasons that utah won last week it wasn't if it wasn't being the more talented or the more effective more efficient group and you know for for a team that's allowing 78 yards a game on rush defense, they're going to get tested by, uh, you know, a, an Oregon offense that's running the ball extremely well. So I, I think that game, you know, Oregon leads the, the conference in rushing right now at 225. And Oregon doesn't have Dante Moore starting for his first time on the road the way that UCLA did, who's a second, you know, second leader in rushing or the way Cal did, uh, you know, who's the third highest, the fourth highest team in terms of rushing was Oregon state. And we saw Oregon state beat Utah. Six is Arizona. Seven is USC. Nine is Washington. So Washington is going to provide a different kind of a test, but I think Arizona state kind of put the recipe down on terms, in terms of how you can beat Washington. And so I think this game against Oregon, I think Arizona to a degree provides a really valuable test. The most efficient Teams on third down right now are Oregon, Washington State, Washington, and Arizona. Um, USC's not an efficient third down team. Oregon's not super efficient. Utah is very inefficient on third down offensively. And so I think that that really 
brings the focus in, right? Because the things that Utah's done well is defend on third down and defend to the rush. So has it been an opponent-based thing? Or are those things where, you know, maybe a team can take advantage of it? And so I, I'm, I think this Oregon game is really going to define what this Utah team is in regards to what they can do for the rest of the season. But you're, you're not wrong about if they beat Arizona, now you can start talking about actual championship stuff, right? Yeah, I, I think that it's a very interesting matchup because, like you say, the styles do like match up pretty well. Utah's run defense has been a little porous here and there, and Oregon has a really good running game. Oregon's offense run defense hasn't been porous as much as their pass defense has, right? Like they allowed those two big passing plays against Cal. Yeah. And uh, UCLA had open plays. Dante Moore just couldn't get the ball there. I think that was the big difference against USC is Utah really closed down any opportunities to allow those kinds of passing plays, but they, I don't think they've played a running team. That's as dynamic as Oregon and the way Oregon uses the RPO game. That to me just, to be completely honest with you, aside from maybe, oh, I don't even respect, like, I don't respect anyone's trenches as much as I respect Oregon's coming into this game. Like, would you agree with that? Like, I feel like of the lines that they've seen, both offensively and defensively, Oregon's going to be bringing the best group that they've seen thus far. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think so. And we saw against a team like that with Oregon State, even though it was Nate Johnson at quarterback, they struggled with that. They did struggle, especially in that Oregon game, with stopping Oregon State's very, very stellar offensive line. And I just have kind of a worry about that with with this with this Oregon team. I didn't think Utah was going to beat USC last week. And they did but it took a lot for it to happen, right? And and I don't know if Utah has, especially after losing one of your top defensive players in Lander Barton, who's now out for the season, Utah's got a lot more. They've got more to fight through, right? And how long can you keep fighting through from week to week? I, I think it, it's not to me. Like, I don't want to be glass half empty guy. Because I think after last week, Everything is on the table for Utah. I think shutting down Rising and and Keithy for good is a major positive because guys know that they have to compete with Bryson Barnes now. You've got a healthy Jaquinta Jackson, which is a massive difference maker. I thought the offensive line looked much, much improved. But how good is your good is the question that comes to my mind when it comes to this this team and I think you're going to find out a lot of that against Oregon this weekend now the other thing too is it's a home game at Rice Eccles man and that place is going to be mayhem yeah personally if we had to pick I'd pick Utah here there's a home game I'm never going to pick against Utah at this point. The streak is good, man. They just haven't done it in three years. The streak at this point is is kind of insane. Uh, Yeah, I I don't want to pick against Utah either. I just I think really what you're going to get is you're going to get the ultimate litmus test in Oregon. Oregon's going to tell you how good you really are at this, that, and the other. 
And by this, that, and the other, I mean, your run defense, your, your third down efficiency, all those kinds of things. Cause I think Oregon is the most balanced, most complete team in the pac 12. I, I don't think that loss against Washington, there's so many factors in that game. I don't know that that was anything to dissuade me from, from that opinion. I think the bigger thing to me is seeing what Arizona state was able to do against Washington just by being physical and, you know, sending AGAT blitzes over and over again. They were able to completely disrupt Michael Penix. So can Washington fix now what has become their fatal flaw? Yeah. Also, this is the week where the Pac-12 ruins its playoff chances. Yeah. <laughs> sure. uh, this is this is the week where, where that goes down because it's the, the Reddit CFB meme of Kyle Whittingham with that look on his face and then the Pac-12 schedule. Yeah, this is where I'm going to disrupt everything, and they're going to beat Oregon, and then they'll probably lose to Arizona, as, as that's how it goes, right? Like, it's just that, – that is the destiny here. And there are some other matchups, too, on the table that I think USC gets right against California. I think they win that game. I think Washington beats Stanford. I haven't seen anything from Stanford to make me think that they can keep up. I think Colorado-UCLA is going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, but I'm not going to bet on the buffs. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Washington State probably beats Arizona State. And then I think the real battle is going to be Arizona and Oregon State, right? Yeah. This. I also changed my opinion on something I just said about 15 minutes ago. If Utah wins this game, Brian, I'm pretty sure they are going to be in the Pac-12 title game. Because think about it. If they win this game, then USC has two losses. Oregon has two losses. Let's let's just count the Washington game as a loss. Let's just say Washington wins that game. Utah with two losses still has the tiebreaker for second place over both Oregon and USC. And then you just have to hope for Oregon State to falter at some point, although I'm not as familiar with their record. I feel pretty confident that if they win this game, we're, we're, we're heading back to Vegas at some point. I feel it's entirely possible, but here's the thing for USC. They're not going to finish with two losses because they have this week they've got Cal next week. They've got Washington, right? Okay. And, and Washington will not have any losses at that point either. And I bet that they beat USC. So the ones to watch are Washington and Oregon state. If you beat Oregon, right? Cause those are the teams that either have zero losses or one loss and with Oregon state being the tiebreaker because <clears throat> they beat you. That rough. That's rough, right? But the, the Oregon State schedule, they've got Colorado. So that this week they've got uh, – who do they have this week? Arizona. That's going to be a tough one for them. That's in Arizona too. So that's where Pac-12 after dark could get real buck. Uh, week 11, they have Stanford. That's probably going to be a – I hate to say it, but that should be a win for them. And then their difficult schedule becomes Washington there, uh, week 12, and then Oregon, week 13. So it's just the way the Pac-12 setup, schedule is set up, we could see a two-loss, two-loss champion. <laughs> two, two losses versus two losses in the championship game, which is, that's chaos. Yeah, it's chaos. It also means uh, yet another year they'll doom themselves from the playoffs. That'll be fun, uh, a fun national narrative. But uh, 
you know, it's playing out, I think, exactly how a lot of people thought it would play out with the the conference. The conference likes to eat itself come late October. That is the way these things typically go. And that's how uh, it should be, though. Like, that's yeah. what we're complaining about right now with Michigan and Georgia is is they're not going to be tested until, you know, like for Georgia, it's not, not going to be until a conference championship game. For Michigan, it's not until Ohio State, really. Like, it's – I mean, that's what's great about the Pac-12 conference. That's it, to me, anyways. Maybe you disagree. I don't, I don't care either way. But I just – that's why I've always loved this conference is competitive as hell. It is competitive, which is good, but it is also bad to have people, you know, nationally, which there are a few. I I have friends that, that follow bigger programs and they're like, oh, Pac-12 season doesn't really ever matter because you guys are never really in it for the national title. And that is what the sport is played for. So we can call it competitive all we want, but none of these programs ever actually compete for a national title. And maybe that's yeah, they beat each other up for nine weeks, and that that's it, right? Like <laughs> you don't have anything left by the end of it. Yeah, like maybe that's a Batman. Now maybe the the title, you know, race is flawed, but like still, like it, it says something that you're not competing, you know, at the end of the year with these, you know, Michigans and and Georgias and 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 uh, and teams like that. Uh, okay. Let's talk a little bit about BYU because uh, I I think they're also a fascinating program to talk about right now. The Utah game I had to watch on replay, but I did get to catch most of the BYU game. And I feel like we're at the point now where at least I feel like I, I, I have to just give some flowers to BYU because before the season, we were talking about like, man, can this team even win, you know, can they even win six games and get to a bowl game? And it's like, well, yeah, of course they can, because Kalani Sataki is a good coach and they they have a good program and they've stayed competitive in all the Big 12 games they've played. And they're playing Texas this week and Texas might be throwing it out Arch Manning. And if you're seeing a, a freshman quarterback for the first time against the Jay Hill defense, I think 17 and a half points for Texas, even in Austin, is extremely disrespectful to BYU, who I think are built for these kind of games. I just feel like it's been a really great year for BYU in general. And uh, I, I feel like the future bear is 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 pretty bright. That they need to catch up on some of the recruiting stuff, especially with Utah coming into the conference. But within you know two years, I think the state of Utah is going to basically run the Big Twelve conference. That's kind of the the path I'm seeing right now. Maybe that's just uh, rose colored glasses for me, but I I I think that BYU is in a very good place right now. And uh, I feel like if they win seven games this year, which they definitely could, that is a massive win. And if they win more than that, like we're, we're talking about look out for this team next year as a team that can really, you know, contend, you know, in a football conference that, that let's be honest, outside of Utah 
is and and Kansas and maybe Oklahoma State is extremely weak. Yeah, I, I the Big Twelve the next couple of years does nothing to excite me in terms of other programs on the rise. Maybe UCF steps the table. Maybe Houston can improve, but. I don't think you're wrong in regards to any of those things. What the biggest thing for BYU is it comes down to recruiting and how how well can you build your depth. And for BYU, what becomes really difficult or challenging in that regard is how many of the spots can you, how many fill-in spots can you use with Keaton Slovis's, right? With last chance guys who have a year left, how many of those spots can you fill and how much can you compete with Utah for in-state recruiting? Because right now they're getting dominated in terms of the in-state stuff. So they've got to make roads in in state. But the other part about the in-state is is just it is there are so much talent here in state. So I think um I think there's plenty of opportunity for them to be to be at at the at the top of the of the pier and they're doing some really positive things with nil and, and all the other stuff that really makes a big difference in that world so i i just you know i'm i'm with you 100 percent on everything you said i think they're two wins away one win away from being bowl eligible and i think that's you know our buddy austin facer didn't think that they're, they're going to get to that point and they're very close to it and the schedule i think lines up favorably for them to get I, I will again. just say right now that is a lock they will be a bull team yeah i think they beat at least one of west virginia iowa state oklahoma oklahoma state right so dude call me crazy but doesn't this just uh dude i just i smell byu on saturday like this just feels like one of those games where they go in and it's the national media is like, oh, here's kind of rinky-dink BYU. They can't really keep up. Texas is banged up. Texas did not play well against Houston. Texas almost lost to Houston last week. Texas should have lost to Houston if there weren't some bad officiating at the end of it. I think Texas could lose this week to BYU. That's where I'm at. I think BYU has a very good chance of upsetting Texas this week. I would say if Texas loses this game, it's a bigger indictment against Texas than it is a win for BYU. How do you feel about that? I feel like that's unfair to BYU. Sure, it means that Texas was fraudulent, but like, are we taking away credit? Like, I don't think you'd say the same thing if if we were talking about Utah in in a game like this. Like, I I I feel like at some point you just have to credit them for being a good program that gets quality wins. Now, granted, you could look at the schedule and make you the argument they don't have a really quality win yet this year, but if they beat Texas, like come on, you gotta give them credit. Like that's a that's a big win. That is a shaping win. Quality wins are less of a concern to me compared to the consistency, right? Because your losses to Kansas and TCU both on the road. Those are big inconsistency losses, right? You're not able to win on the road. Well, let's take away the Kansas loss. Kansas is extremely good. Uh, extremely? Kansas is good. Kansas is good. 
Yeah. Why, why yeah. can't people just accept that? Kansas is good. I, I'm not saying that they aren't good. But I'm saying you're not gonna a bad compare, thing. You're going to make the comparison here to like a Pac-12 team. They're like Arizona. Okay, but that, I just, Arizona is still pretty good. Yeah, and Utah should beat Arizona, right? Yeah, well, I, and so BYU should be. No, Kansas. yeah, yeah, yeah. You make fair points and you use logic to best me. I get it. That's the hard part about fighting with me is the logic, logic excursus. I took freshman uh, philosophy and I did really poorly in it, but I learned a lot. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> there is some, you know, I, I think. Teams are not identical, and we love to compare teams on this linear chart, right, where where everything lines up on an axis and everything correlates and, and dictates perfectly. I think for BYU right now, I think this is a program that's discovering a lot of itself. To be a really – to be a top-tier Big 12 team, you've got to beat Kansas on the road. I think that's just the bottom line. Are you going to have an occasional loss like that? Sure. Uh, I think that team, that program – at Kansas is 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 well on its way to being a top contender. Same with Kansas State. I mean, that's the wild part. I think the best state right now in terms of Pac-12 programs is Kansas, if you take away Oklahoma and Texas, because they're not going to be there next year. So, well, I mean, Utah. Utah in 2024 is going to be the best state in the Pac-12, or the Big 12. Kansas will be close behind. Uh, Kansas <laughs> Which is just crazy to me, and I don't—I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just that's wild because what does Kansas have to to make them that? They, I mean, they don't come from a fertile recruiting ground. They're not a power program by any stretch. They're just this under the radar, tough, you know, school. But to to get back to the conversation a little bit on the recruiting front, for example, right now. Per 24-7, number one, two, sorry, sorry, number one, three, four, six ranked recruits all, all committed currently to Utah. Numbers two and seven are, are predicted to be Utah. The only one that they're missing on right now is is Roger Saliapaga, the tight end from Orem, who's uh, crystal ball to go to Oregon. So when you look at that and, and BYU being shut out of basically the top 10, well, not shut out. So the one player they have in the top 10 is Devoe Tuatonga, who is exactly what they need. Um, that's where they've got to pick it up, right? That's where they've really got to improve is they've got to get. Well, to be, to be honest with you, they've just got to get people to the NFL. They've, they've done Doing a, that, right? They've you got done, Puka. Yeah, and, and and they're starting to do that. They they do it extremely well offensively, but man, they've they've got to get some defensive. They've got to get some linemen to be off at, to to be NFL, and uh, defensively and, is where they really need to make their mark. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and then then maybe we can start to see that change a little bit. All right, let's talk about not the state of Utah for a second. Uh, explain to me like I'm 12 what's going on with this Michigan stuff. So it, I think this is an interesting conversation because the it feels – tell me – I'll explain it to you when you tell me is this a big deal or not from your perspective. 
Yes, I'm listening. So is this a big deal or not from your perspective? As kind of someone who doesn't really understand the, I did the not hear a word you just said. Something must have happened with your mic. That's okay. Um, it happened. So let me does this feel like it feels to me like the media is trying to make this into no, something? No, 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 I physically yeah. do not understand what's happening. Yeah. So what's happened is Michigan's been now caught, and, and I think there's two things that pop to mind. Michigan's now been caught sending what is, in essence, advanced scouts to games ahead of them on the schedule, not games that they're playing in, but but games of opponents to scout their signals, right? And signals are, you see, we, we used to call it wigwag in high school. Uh, but they're signs, signals. You, just, you remember Oregon used to hold up the, the placards, the giant cardboards with all the pictures and everything on it. It's a way you signal to your offense on the field what play you need to call. And so in the grand scheme of this, sign stealing has always been one of those hot button issues where you hear, oh, yeah, like uh, I think the one that stands out in my mind was Auburn, Florida State in one of the semifinal games. And everybody said that Auburn was stealing the signs in the first half and Florida State figured it out. And then all of a sudden, I think Florida State ended up winning that game. I believe it was the Rolls Bowl that they were playing in with that one. The bottom line is signs are not an essential and, and the play the NFL's eliminated this because they don't have signs, right? They've got the in-ear devices or the in-helmet devices that tell the quarterback and the linebacker what play to what play to call and everything like that. Where the gamesmanship starts to happen with college football is is package subbing and, and sending in signals and, and we, we call it check with me's where maybe they line up, they run through a cadence and then they all look to the sideline for the signal of what play they should run. A lot of this is because things have become so complex and complicated that the coaches know what to run before the players can recognize it. So it's one thing that they can take off the players' plates so that they can execute at a higher level. Sign stealing is nothing new. It happens all the time. It is one of those things that it is the easiest thing in the world to fix. You know why? You know how you fix sign stealing, Eric? You change your signs every week. Nope. You just sub in a receiver. That's it. Receiver on the sideline, tell him to play, have him run in, tell the offense. That's it. It is the most easily fixable element of, of, of football. Or you huddle up, right? So I think that's that there are so many easy ways to fix it. You can change your signs from week to week. That, you know, that becomes a little bit complicated because then it's, you know, you have to have a pretty good system. But eventually everybody's going to figure that out. You know, um, most most tapes that you see, like like game tapes, all 22 that we talk about and love, all 22 is going to show the signs that they're making on the sidelines. So you can deduct it from that. So realistically in the grand scheme, this is a giant nothing burger. However, I think what is unique about it is, is the program involved is Michigan, which has already seen one uh, burger related infraction. I think the other part of it too is, is just it's uh, Jim Harbaugh. And people love to find ways to manufacture drama against Harbaugh. I don't think that sign stealing is the reason why Michigan beat Michigan State 42 to nothing. However, I do understand that people love a good scandal and that they want to try and manufacture something big and major out of this. So that is reasonable understanding. Having said all that, does it change your perception of, of what, what the story is? 
or the reaction to it? I would say the one thing, because despite me playing a little dumb from the podcast, I did do a little bit of research on this. Yeah, I had an idea that you actually knew something about this, especially because I know what you used to do. I know what your job used to be. Like, like, I, I think it's interesting that you can look at Michigan's record from about two and a half years ago to now, and you can notice a massive turnaround. Uh, within that span and especially against teams like Ohio State and Penn State and I think it's a big deal because I think that as much as Michigan likes to pretend that like they are college football in the Big Ten the number one grossing athletics department finances wise in the nation, I looked this up today, is Ohio State. They have all the power. And if they wanted to call the Big Ten or the NCAA or whoever and say, these guys were clearly stealing signs, we have massive evidence of it, tying a staffer who they have pictures of literally standing beside the defensive and offensive coordinators when either opposite side of the ball is playing, give it, giving them this, like, there's just a lot of really damning evidence against Michigan. And then you say, well, oh, maybe Jim Harbaugh didn't know. Well, this guy that they sent, he's a public, you know, employee. He's making $50,000 a year. Right. It's the Ohio state and Penn state where they're getting these tickets so they can see the signs are incredibly expensive. Like that, someone did the math and it's like 20 grand of a 50 grand salary is going towards that. This guy's not doing it on his own. Like there's some, some knowledge there. Do I think anything will happen? No, because the NCAA, as we know, is a broken institution and completely toothless. Do I think that at some point the Big Ten might step in and say, okay, we're imposing some pretty harsh sanctions on you guys and we are vacating some wins? Like, I I wouldn't be shocked by that. I don't think sign stealing is a huge deal. I think the level at which it got to is kind of insane. Uh I think the more incriminating aspect of it for me is that he has a Venmo, a public Venmo request to one of the Michigan staffers for GA, which is quite clearly the same week as, as the Georgia game that he was at. And this is the astonishing part about this to me is that we are still in the year of our Lord, 2023, unable to operate things from burner phones and, or use Visa gift cards. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's very dumb they got caught. Uh, very dumb they got caught. It was dumb that they sent them to games in the in in the first place. That, I think, is absurd. But it is also the level to which all these coaches are going to try and find an edge. And I don't know 
I think the int- there's a lot of good things that are going to come with this, right? So they're going to use these new devices in all the bowl games this year. So that's going to be a very big positive. They should have done. You just mentioned it. Ohio State's got enough money in their budget to pay for it all for everybody, let alone, you know, the 128 other teams that are below them in the rankings. So it's just. I don't know. It's just it, this is such a Harbaugh type thing. I, I don't see yeah. them scrubbing any wins. You know, I don't know. Sorry, there's 133 FBS schools. It seems like they add a couple. I know James Madison bumped up this year, so that number always changes it's, on me. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this much. On college football this year, I'm a gambling man. I've been riding Michigan pretty hard. I can promise you I will not be riding Michigan hard when they play Ohio State this year because I I think, one, now Penn State and Ohio State know this is coming. I also think Michigan State has played – Michigan has played basically nobody. And I think there's a chance that this just all blows up in Jim Harbaugh's face in the end and he ends up running to be the next head coach of the Chicago Bears in like two months. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it does seem like that's gonna be the end end run of this whole thing. So so uh I'm not too worried about it. I think Michigan will get their comeuppance pretty soon because I I don't think they've played a real team this year. And I think when they play real teams they will get beat. And uh yeah. So I mean when they played real teams in the playoffs last year they they certainly did. So uh we'll, we'll we'll see we will see we will see how that ends up playing out all right brian ask me one or two questions about the nfl and then let's let's get out of here this has been the perfect amount of time for a podcast we're at about an hour right now let's tack on 10 15 minutes and get out of here is the defensive player of the year race more fascinating than the mvp race Oh, yeah, for sure. But I think uh, no disrespect to Micah Parsons, but I think Miles Garrett might be kind of wrapping things up here pretty quick uh, because the way he has played over the past three weeks has been terrifying, to say the least. I think that we have not really seen a defensive player play at this level since we were in the peak Aaron Donald years a few years ago like Miles Garrett Miles Garrett's game against the Colts Sunday was bonkers like bonkers do you see the kick he blocked I mean he, he, he is an insane person an athletic freak and also just physically huge I, I think if I had to give a vote, if I had a vote, it would be for him. And I don't think a, a, a tongue could change my mind. Micah Parsons has kind of slowed down over the, the past few weeks a little bit with production. TJ Watt had a big game against the Rams, but man, Miles Garrett, man, he, he, he to me is the no doubt defensive player of the year right now. Can I throw a name in there that I feel like doesn't get recognized, but probably should? Oh, go for it. Max Crosby. Yeah, you know, there's a case to be made for Max Crosby. He's doing it with literally zero help around him at this point. Uh, 
but I, I think you'd have to do something kind of insane to to get caught up to the point. I think I'd put him in tier two of like pass rushers. Like he's he's not quite he's not quite up there at the top, but he is an insane player for sure. He's seventh place right now in the NFL in sacks. Um I do want to circle back a little bit and talk about how you, me, and the fellas had a discussion regarding Miami versus Philadelphia's defensive line and voided Philadelphia's defensive line, put the period at the end of that. Oh, season. yeah. I mean, uh, Sneaky should be in that conversation, too. Jalen Carter has just been an absolute beast from about Son Reddick as well, right? Like Reddick was about the minute he he put the pads on this year. I mean Jalen Carter looks looks eerily similar to Aaron Donald and uh just the speed he he gets and the difference he makes up the middle. And then yeah, like you said, Hassan Reddick of course is a total and yeah, he is. Hassan Reddick is, is, he is. He had a crazy year last year. He had a crazy year this year. And and, and I mean, the, the Eagles are just very good defensively. They trade for Kevin yeah. Byard. That was really the last question they had was <laughs> some safety issues. Like I don't know. Like they they look they look pretty pretty legitimate i think i still have some questions about the offense it's been a down year for Jalen hurts but man uh, that defense defense can take you a long way in the nfl and they have a, a reliable offense and an elite defense and i think in a pretty weak nfc they're they're gonna be they're gonna be competing pretty hard for 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 the one seed i'm gonna i'm fascinated to see what happens with that race uh I do. I, I don't know, man. It's it's the Lions are still in it, by the way. The Lions, yeah. even though they got beaten down by by the Ravens, the rest of the schedule for the Detroit Lions is absurdly easy. Like they should. I don't think they'll lose another game till after Thanksgiving. Like they they are they they have a very soft schedule coming up, and I am not. That was one thing where a lot of people kind of jumped off. It feels like the the Lions bag bandwagon. Like, I I won't. Like, they had one bad week where the defense didn't really show up and Lamar Jackson played his best game of the season. I think it, that may be more of an offensive anomaly for the Ravens than it would be a defensive anomaly for the Lions. I think the Lions defense will return to what they were, which was a very good unit the rest of the way as they play these bad teams and sure people are going to say well are they fraudulent can they compete when it gets to january for the lions it doesn't matter this is a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in forever and they're going to get there this year i think that even though the vikings kept the race close i feel like the two divisions that are wrapped up at this point are the nfc north i'm pretty confident in the fact that detroit hangs on and the AFC West, which is over before Halloween, because the Chiefs are just the Chiefs. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see the race. What do you think of uh, about the Niners last night? I was uh, a little shocked they they did not come to play in that game, and I get they were missing Debo, but they they were pretty healthy going in, and for the first time in his career, Brock Purdy kind of struggled. 
no Debo, no Trent Williams, right? I think that was that for me is the bigger one. Um, I don't know that I'm necessarily surprised by the result. So dark uh, and disappeared. <laughs> yeah, it was. I think the bigger story for me was the performance from Kirk Cousins and and the Vikings. On on the flip side of it, and the big knock on Kirk was that he isn't able to win the big games, right? I don't know. Um, I'm not. It's been such a run for Brock Purdy. I'm not ready to jump off the wagon in terms of him being the guy in San Francisco. But he was 10 and 0 as a starter, and now he's 10 and 2. So, and maybe this is just my naivete in terms of not seeing or not wanting to be the first to jump in on things. But uh, we're starting to see him regress a little bit to the meat more than anything. I think that's that's the bigger takeaway for me. And really, it's just how much of that that team revolves around the team, right? And Debo and Trent Williams and their ability to execute what they do as, as a group and a unit. I thought it was fascinating that Kyle Shanahan was lamenting the fact that Debo wasn't able to play. Like, there are things that Debo can do that would have taken advantage of that defense. And so I think that's why – it's also why they covet um, the, the – uh, um, Kirk Cousins, right? Like, like that's why Kirk Cousins is Kyle Shanahan's perfect quarterback because he can throw the D ball and he and he he's he's very basic. Milk toast is is the word that comes to my mind. I don't know what the common like like what the new new wave phrase is. Um, but yeah, I, I they were relatively healthy for the most part. I think it's just. just think that the Niners are not the Niners without a few of their best dudes, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I feel like that it's an incredibly it, it's a it's a very it's a very fair take to have. I think more more impressive to me was the way the Vikings played defense. I did not see yeah, that coming. I, I, I did not that. see that coming either. I, I thought that was very, very interesting. I was But Niners will get it figured out. This is just a, a, a stretch in October where we, the NFL is such a week-to-week league because there's so little of it that we kind of forget that they are still a dominant team and a dominant defense with dominant trench play. But we'll get back to you know a, a solid level here pretty soon. Uh, but yeah, it was certainly a surprising result on uh, on Monday night. I did not I did not think that was possible. But uh, hey, if the NFL has taught us anything over the past two weeks and it literally the entirety of its existence, it is that in fact any given Sunday any any uh any team can win. Do you have any uh, maybe one more NFL topic before we get out of here? Defenses are clearly on the rise 
and I think we saw on Saturday night that the Dolphins' offensive firepower is maybe not what we thought it was originally. Does that bode well for the future of the league in terms of entertainment value? Uh, I, I would disagree with the fact that the Dolphins were somehow found out on Saturday. The recipe to beating them has been very clear from the beginning, which is stop the run, get pressure on Tua, and don't let the speed beat you. There are maybe three NFL defenses that can do all three of those things to the Dolphins. I, I disagree with your assessment there. I think uh, I think the Dolphins will get back to what the Dolphins have been doing. But in the AFC, they're like the only team, like I think they're going to be there towards the end because the only teams that can keep up are the Bills, which they proved. But now the Bills are without Matt Marlano, and that defense has fundamentally changed over the past two weeks. They, they And that is not a fluke. They have just lost so much talent that they are not an elite defense anymore. So when the Dolphins and Bills meet again, the Dolphins are going to put up points. Like you say, maybe the Chiefs, but the Chiefs haven't really been tested by a, a speedy offense yet. That game next week is going to be a really big one in Germany to figure out, you know, can the Chiefs contain a team like like the Dolphins? But I, I, I don't I don't see that I, I didn't see this as, as an indictment on the Dolphins as much as oh well the Eagles just have the perfect team to beat the Dolphins and the that is why the Eagles are one of the top two teams in the NFL because there are maybe only three teams in the league that can hang with Miami when they're playing at their best, if that makes sense. Yeah. Very much does. But the whole like defense is defense is fun to watch. If you play well, like the Browns defense is fun to watch on a consistent basis. It is consistently a fun defense to watch because it is fast, and they get to the ball, and the pass rush is good. I got and, a Browns question for you. Yeah. Are they better with P.J. Walker at quarterback or Deshaun Watson? I don't know, to be completely honest with you. The fact it's even a question uh, – the fact they say I don't know is kind of a, condemn, a condemnation on Deshaun Watson's football playing career. No, I am never going to sit here and say I would rather take P.J. Walker on – a Sunday over Deshaun Watson. I will never say that, but it's a conversation that you can have, which kind of says a lot. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one. Some interesting games this week, specifically Bengals Niners. I I think uh, there's been a, a resurgence in belief around the Bengals for some reason over the past few weeks. I just do not buy it at all. The Bengals are still a team that cannot protect Joe Burrow and does not have a functional offense in my eyes. I think they will struggle against the 49ers. That one, I, I, I don't, I don't quite understand why people think that'll be a good game. I think that this is a big Niners bounce back spot. Um, I'm interested. Brown Seahawks will be good because the Seahawks offensive line has really struggled in 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 current weeks so in so i i expect that to be uh 
Um, pretty low scoring, maybe a little boring, but also a weird close competitive game. Texans Panthers, you have the the matchup of the two number the two first round quarterbacks, and you know. But the schedule's not the greatest. And then you have Rams, Cowboys, and you just wonder what happens if the Cowboys lose that game in Dallas. Like what what happens at that point? Because it feels like this is kind of a turning point year for the Cowboys in that Jerry Jones might get impatient at some point and say, Okay, we don't want Dak next year. And if we don't want Dak next year, we probably want a new head coach as well. I don't know. The Cowboys season just feels like it's on the edge of disaster to me, to be completely honest with you. They, they've, they're next. The next few games are interesting. They have the Rams, the Eagles, the Giants, and then the Panthers. So, you know, winnable games, but then what if the feisty New York Giants show up and you lose at home to the Giants? Like, I'm not, I I wouldn't be shocked by that. Like, uh, it feels like the Cowboys season is totally in flux right now and will be determined over the next two or three weeks as to if they will be a team that we need to care about come Thanksgiving when they are forced down our throats. Yeah, I would say that the Cowboys are nowhere near my radar right now in terms of what's going on in the NFL. And that should tell you everything you need to know about their season. What do you think about the Chiefs right now? I I think the Chiefs are in an incredible position of being able to develop what they need to develop in season while knowing that they have the ultimate trump card or uh draw draw 10 whatever card you want to call it uh with Patrick Mahomes. And I think that is such a luxury to have to know who you are, know what you have, know what you're capable of doing. And so you can do things in season to get guys like Rasheed Rice involved, right? Offensively, I thought I thought we saw them explode a little bit against the Chargers. Chargers are another dead team walking, in my opinion. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised to see Staley fired and and Kellen Moore take over as interim at some point in time to see just to see if he's the guy to do that. Uh, they have pieces defensively too uh very young secondary one that's still kind of work in progress but that defensive line is gnarly man they get after you and i think they are health is always going to be the biggest concern with, with every every football team but man right now like at, at this point is there a team that you'd bet against that has a better shot to make it to the super bowl than the chief yeah, it's uh, it's just tough. It's not something you want to really even admit. Like, their one kryptonite has been the Bengals, you know. But yeah, I don't want to put the Bengals out there and say, "Oh yeah, the Bengals can beat them in the playoffs." I definitely don't think the Bills can beat them in the playoffs. That's yeah. the funny yeah. part about it. Might be the fact that the two teams that could beat them in San Francisco and Philly are not going to face them until it gets to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it it's not. I don't know if you gotten this yet but the the posture i've taken this year on this podcast especially because sometimes i have to host it with just an insufferable chiefs fan yeah i know and he really does taint the taint the well and and, 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 like i it's part of the shtick so i love it but 
is that I have taken the stance of being a Patrick Mahomes hater, but I feel like the next few weeks are going to be brutal for me as a Patrick Mahomes hater. It, it kind of stacks up perfectly for him, for Mahomes to just dominate the next month of the season and be the storyline going into Thanksgiving. He's got the Denver Broncos in Denver this week. The Denver Broncos on the verge of trading almost their entire defense likely and without Kareem Jackson because Kareem Jackson is an idiot who just likes to hit people with his head. Um, Then they have the Miami Dolphins. I uh, That smells like a Patrick Mahomes to a tackle by Loa shootout where Patrick Mahomes throws for like 500 yards and five TDs. And we're talking about, wow, crazy man. How's this guy even playing football? And then he's got Monday night football against the Eagles. And that's to be completely honest with you, the first real test he faces via defense, because despite how good the Miami Dolphins have been as a team, their defense has been terrible this year. Vic Fangio has not lived up to the salary they are paying him. Uh, it, it has not been a difference-making defense. And then going, you know, at Thanksgiving, like the schedule softens up again, and they play the Raiders and the Packers, who look hopeless right now, and then you get one nice matchup against the Bills, and that'll be a big litmus test for the Bills. Can the Bills even keep up with the Chiefs at that point? We, we don't even know what the Bills are at this point. I'm starting to lose faith in them. And then they close the season with the Patriots, the Raiders, the Bengals, who who knows what the Bengals are then, but I don't believe in the Bengals, and the Chargers. Like, what if they just don't lose again? What, like, like, the only game I look at this schedule, and legitimately, Brian, that I say, oh, this might be a loss, is Philadelphia. That is it. Everything else, I will be picking the Chiefs. Like, even Miami. I don't think Miami can keep up with any. Like, Mike McDaniel, he's a hot young wonder kid. I get it. You've got Tyreek Hill, their speed, whatever. You're not going to keep up with Patrick Mahomes in a shootout. That is the game Patrick Mahomes wants to play. Like, I don't trust Tua to keep up with anyone in a shootout. Like, I, 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 you know, it's... It's it's bleak if you're me. I think there's a real, like what what the worst they're gonna be is like three losses. Like the the one seed, the one seed could be wrapped up by Thanksgiving. It really could be. It could, especially if the Bills keep struggling like this, which it looks like they probably will because the defense isn't very good, and the offense just goes through these stretches where it's anemic. And it's I'm gonna throw you. A real knuckleball here. Mm-hmm. Not even a curve. Say that Aaron Rodgers does get healthy in time for the playoffs. Oh, please, no. Not <laughs> even close. I mean, are you kidding me? Patrick Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers off an Achilles? Please. Please. It's Mahomes versus that defense, and I think that's the worst game that he's played so far yeah, this year. Sure, but do you think a, a player of his caliber, with his work ethic, with his coaching staff, They've seen it now. It's so funny that, and I understand why you are of the hood that the Patrick Mahomes hate. If you were to remove the Bradford and Denver versus KC, like if Patrick was in Denver, he's oh, the, your favorite player of all time, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
funny. Usually, if he does not play for the Kansas City Chiefs, he is easily the guy I pick after Peyton Manning. Like he is, like he 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 is, like if he is not a Kansas City Chief, and he has the same career he has right now, I have his jersey. I am a total fan. By the time the Broncos are dead in in mid October, I'm watching all his games. But you know. He plays for the division rival, and it's just going to be yeah. 15 years of hell for the the laws of sports fandom. Say that you have to hate that man with every fiber of my be- of your being. But I think that's it the unique sucks. part about it is like, as a sports fan, you have to hate him. As a sports commenter and a sports analyst, how do you not love that dude? Right? Yeah, like, no, it's it's impossible to hate him, really. Yeah. And, and, and this is where the dynamics of of what we do in terms of you know being commenters and. All that other stuff really. And it's like, well, what what am I doing at this point? Like literally, all I had on on Sunday afternoon was thankfully the Broncos won, but all I had was that was that Chiefs Chargers game, and I was just like, okay, he threw that first pick. I was like, okay, I'm gonna root for him to throw three interceptions today, and it just never got close because Patrick Mahomes is never gonna throw three interceptions, and like. If he does, it's not a guarantee that you're going to win either. That's the ridiculous yeah. part about it. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like, and uh, by the way, I, I want to look at this, but hold on, I need to see how many times has Patrick Mahomes. This stat was insane. By the way. How many times do you think Patrick Mahomes has been sacked this year? Sacked? Yeah. It's I know it's through seven weeks. It's under five. I know that many that much, right? Not quite. Seven times. Okay. Yeah. And so... he did not take a sack, by the way, until like week five. Right. There's like one outlier game that is inflating those numbers. Like he is not taking sacks right now. Was like, it the Jets game? Yeah. Like where they got him three. Was it three times that they got him? Yeah. That's yeah. that's infl- that's inflating the number. He is not taking sacks right now. He's not taking sacks. He's not turning over the ball. He is the perfect quarterback. And it just makes me want to stop watching football. Like I, I hate it. I just well, like I just feel like no, I, I I don't think he's the perfect quarterback in the sense like measurables no, are not where you think it would be right like some of the stuff that he, some of the arm angles he throws at some of the passes but he is so physically talented but with his level of competitiveness and preparation and even leadership man like yeah he's a crazy he is a cheat code without a doubt I I actually think that if you're building the perfect quarterback in the lab it's Tom Brady. I think it's Patrick Mahomes at this point, but Mahomes has. I can't argue with you because Mahomes has watching it become it. His physical gifts wise, Tom Brady was not super special. Like, not anywhere near what Mahomes is, nor like uh, the other part of it too is is we see the next. Do you want to know what I? I, Sorry to cut you off. I'm bad at that. Do you want to know what I hate the most about Patrick Mahomes? Yes, I do now. And I legitimately mean this. 
I think he might be the best running quarterback in the league. Like, the spots he picks to run, the way he uses his legs, like, Jalen Hurts has the tush push, which is an impossible play to stop. But Patrick Mahomes has, it's third and seven, you drop everyone, you bring three men, you think, okay, the pocket's closing, we're going to get him. And he picks up those seven yards. And that's pretty automatic. He does, you'll notice this, in every big game he's ever played, he picks up huge first downs with his legs. He is the most clutch runner maybe I've ever seen play quarterback. It is crazy, and I hate him for it. And, and it just, Brady was never doing that. Brady was never doing that. And he's got the same pocket mobility as Brady, and he's got a better arm than Brady. And all he's missing is the rings. I'll never admit that he's better than Brady until he wins as many rings as Brady. But God, I mean, if he wins one this year, like, he's at three, like, Ah, I don't know. It's it just it just sucks. Like we talk about the NFL as it's a parody league, but when you look at it, like the next decade, like we have a chance it's just going to go Patriots to Chiefs. Like that's just how it's going to go, because that defense is also absolutely unreal. Like they don't they don't have any huge names, but Charles O'Menahue, this guy is a baller, dude. He is an absolute stud. Ah, I just, I I can't stand it. I can't stand it, Brian. You know how much it hurts me to say all this nice stuff about the Kansas City Chiefs? And then, like, ask me that question again. Of course I think they'll win the Super Bowl. Like, who's going to stop them? Themselves, right? I think that's the good news, right, is is that there is enough going on in the world of football. And I don't want to be guy, like, guy angry at the Internet. Uh, and say that Taylor Swift is going to be a distraction or anything like that. But if you're playing your best football in October, that's problematic, right? Because that gives you so much time for either injuries or complacency or whatever else to sink in. That being said, I don't know that we're seeing their best football yet. They're not. They're not even close to their best football. I mean, they got... The hate, the hater point of view here is like helpful. The Chargers' defense is terrible. Like this was just proof that if Patrick Mahomes sees a bad defense, he will continue to take care of that bad defense. But I think the problem is we're gonna get enough of these games where he plays bad defenses, aka the Broncos this week, and aka the Dolphins next week, that he's just gonna figure out. Oh yeah, like. The cover two stuff, like people know, like he's going to start getting man coverage looks again at some point because it's all cyclical. And like, then he's just going to go to Rasheed Rice and he's going to say, okay, dude, just run as fast as you can and I'm going to throw the ball over the top. And then it's going to be like, what, what? And then Brett Veach is going to do something crazy at the deadline and like go get Jerry Judy. And Jerry Judy is going to become like, Jerry Judy is going to become like, a weekly hundred yard receiver on, on a team with Patrick Mahomes throwing him the football and like, it's going to change the way they are, or God forbid. I mean, they say, okay, we really want to extend his window and we, we don't think he'll get to free agency. So like take two first Tampa Bay Buccaneers, let's just go get Mike Evans and extend Mike Evans. And then 
Bears Patrick Mahomes guy for the next like three years because now the Patrick Mahomes contract, even though he redid it, it's still manageable. Like they have room to work. They have a good GM. They have a good head coach. They're just a, a well-run organization. Like people want to laugh at like the Patriots stuff, but like the Patriots worked because a lot of things fell into place at one time. And the Chiefs have everything they need. Steve Spagnuolo is the best defensive coordinator in the league. Like, I'm ready to say that because every year he has his defense when they need to play their best at a championship caliber level. And this is the first year he's had real turnover and his guys. And the defense looks consistently like one of the top five in the league. But sure, they don't have a difference-making pass rusher, but then that's extremely disrespectful to Chris Jones, who is absolutely a difference-making pass rusher. They just have everything. They have the GM, they have the coach, they have the quarterback, they have the offensive talent, they have the line play, they have everything. And they, they will just continue to roll because of it, because they are a, a well-run organization. Do not let Bradford listen to this. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm going to have to hide this from him. And, and, you know, but this will be nice ammunition to have in my back pocket. To, to, <laughs> um, to say, oh, look, dude, yeah, I, what are we going to do every week? Just talk about how great the Chiefs are? But there, there's somebody, this is what's great about the NFL and, and football in general. Eventually, people figure things out, right? Like, it's not a, forever situation where you're just never gonna but i i think the problem is the cheat code of of that's where i think adaptation the chiefs yeah yeah the 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 cheat code that is um uh patrick mahomes right like i just don't like we haven't he's been in the league for this long there's still no way to figure him out right like like i don't know that there's a defense or a roster that's built to that degree. And it just, that's just, that's brutal. Yeah. Brutal doesn't even begin to describe the feelings I will have Sunday afternoon. So, what, what, can I say one thing where I think the Chiefs may be vulnerable? Mm. The run game is not elite, even by Chiefs standards. And I, as much as I love Isaiah hey, Pacheco. But they, I disagree. I think come playoff time, Isaiah Pacheco has shown he has the ability to be an elite running back. I hope so. But it's because I, I, I'll tell you this much if it's Clyde Edwards Alaire, it ain't it. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's going to be Clyde Edwards Alaire. So I don't it, think it should be. But I I'm, I'm saying that. I, I do think that's where. I don't if think you can find a way to neutralize Pacheco. I think there's that. That's where there is some vulnerability. Or the more likely deadline move is Brett Veach goes to Tennessee and says, "Here's a fourth round pick for Derrick Henry," and then it's I, and then it's like, boy, okay, you do that. Go. Like, I mean, Tennessee should be shot on the spot, like <laughs> metaphorically. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I think the scarier moments are just maybe we should have talked about that as just likely candidates to actually get traded. It does seem like the NFL does want to do more at the trade deadline than they have in years past. I do think with the buyer move, uh, a Henry move is very likely. It does feel like the Tennessee Titans are selling. I would agree. I would think that it's a team like the New England Patriots that should go out and bangle a first or a second round pick for him, though. I totally disagree with that. Ooh. 
That is not what the Patriots are as a team building exercise. Sure, they went out and beat the Buffalo Bills, but that's because the Bills played it down. I think the problem with the Patriots is the fact that they can't draft worth beans. And so yeah. they got to go establish guys. And and so that's how you start collecting. Yeah, but okay. So you're going to go get a guy who has slowed down this year because Derrick Henry has slowed down this year. And you're going to give up a first round pick for a guy that might, might be terrible come November next year. Like what? No, that, that makes no sense. Well, what have they done with the last four years with their first round picks? Well, they actually hit on one this year and then he tore his Achilles. Christian yeah. was a beast for them through the first four games of the season. But that's fair. But like, I, I I don't know. The Patriots should not be buying. That is that is one of the more insane things I've ever heard. Um, but uh, but um, but that's where I think like, that's where I think it's 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 feasible, right? You're right. Like what they should be doing is is hitting the reset button entirely on on the full program, right? Like Belichick and everybody. But I don't know that they will. 2021, Mac Jones. 2022, Cole Strange. 2020, uh, traded their first round pick for a second and third, took Kenneth Murray, and then Kyle Duggar, which I giggle. I the Duggar's been. Nikhil Harry, 2019. Isaiah Wynn, 2018. 2017 didn't have anything didn't have anything 2016 so yeah you're not wrong they shouldn't go after Derrick Henry I just think that that's what they will do very good all right Brian this day. Is podcast episode we've covered a lot of topics I feel confident with the with the effort we're putting out this week i might even do a rare thing and not timestamp this one so people have to listen all the way through <laughs> uh, you will listen to us you will listen to us until next time we will see you around appreciate the listenership from all of you that uh that keep us coming back and, and brian of course as always appreciate you until next time we will see you around peace out